is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a career and executive coach, and today I welcome Emily Belden to the show. Emily, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm really excited. We're going to dive into a juicy conversation, and I'm eager to chat with you about your career as a working author. You know, so many people aspire to write, but they don't necessarily monetize it, or they have that quintessential book in their head, but it never actually gets written. So tell me about your path. Did you always want to be an author? Yes. I mean, I, I'm really not good at a lot of things except for writing. I can't cook. I can't play sports. So (laughs) writing has always been my thing. And I think I knew from a young age, as soon as I knew what success looked like for an author, you know, having your book in the library, having it on the shelf at a bookstore, I was like, that's what I want to do with my, my career. So I've known for a long time that I wanted to do that. And, you know, it took a while to get there obviously, but um, that's been the eye on my prize since, since the moment I knew what it looked like. Oh, that's awesome. So as, as a young girl, did you journal, you know, did you write, I mean, leading up to, you know, the time as a grown up where you said, okay, I want to do this for a living. Right. Were you constantly writing? Yeah. I mean, I would write everything from really elaborate letters to Santa Claus or oh. to the tooth fairy. Um, I would write persuasive essays to my parents, trying to convince them of one thing or another. I was always publishing short stories. When I was in elementary school, there was a small publishing center where they would laminate your pages and do a little coil binder. And I would bring a story there every day to get it published. Um, So it's always been something I wanted to do. When I was in middle school, about 12 years old, I won a contest with the Chicago Tribune to be a kid reporter. It was called a scoop trooper. Um, And that was kind of my first real writing assignment. I felt like so professional and you know, my tenacity for writing really kicked in at that point. And, you know, seeing my work, quote unquote, out there in the paper was something that I was like, oh, I want to do this on a big level. I want a book. I want, you know, I want to really do it. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing those early stories. So let's break it down because we've got millions of listeners worldwide, some of whom are saying, okay, I would love to do that. So how how did you get started? I know you yeah. went with a traditional agent, but I'd love to hear your path to publishing. And and then we'll talk about other alternatives because the world has opened up in, in the publishing yeah. arena and changed a lot. Absolutely. So I will say that it was a very long process and it was kind of a painful process as well. So if there's anyone else that's listening and going through this and you're experiencing that, then I would say that's totally normal. Um, so I had written the book and I really wanted to, you know, I had spent so much time writing it myself that I wanted to get it out there and I wanted sort of someone else to do that. I wanted an, ex- an expert, an agent, a publisher. I wanted that um, path for myself. So the first thing I did was after I completed the manuscript, I did a lot of research on agents um, before I ever sent any single email. So I wanted to really understand the lay of the land of how literary agents worked and who were the key players and who were the people that really repped my type of work. And, and even still, I drilled down further and looked these people up on social media. Um, and I tried to figure, you know, w- what kind of personality they had. Maybe they were, you know, were interested intrinsically in the work I was doing because they had personal interest in it. So it was a lot of upfront research. And I would just encourage anyone going through this to not phone it in on that research aspect. You want to give yourself the best chance possible at 
getting signed or represented by somebody. So you really need to do a lot of that legwork up front um, to see who is a good match for you. And then once I kind of had my hit list of who I thought, you know, would be my A list of people that I want to send this to, I followed their submission guidelines to a T. And these people receive thousands of inquiries all the time with manuscripts to be read. So it's really important that you study the submission guidelines for all of the agents, you know, whether that be they request that you write a certain word in the subject line or that you attach a certain piece of uh, your writing paraphernalia. Whatever it is, you need to follow that to a T because they're looking for reasons to sort of delete your email out of their crazy inboxes. So follow all those rules and then be patient because a lot of times you'll hear back from them and they'll say they need maybe eight to 12 weeks or maybe even longer. And that's really true. There's some people who I queried that told me it would be 12 weeks. And by that point I had moved on or thought it was a lost cause. And sure enough, they come back into your inbox and say they want more or whatever. So it's a lot of patience um, and a lot of preparation as well. I also appreciate that you did your due diligence, right? You don't just spray and pray and, and put your stuff out there. You've really yeah, got to be specific. Not. Yeah, and I really, you know, one thing I did, and, and it's kind of unique considering this, the age that we live in right now, was I never, I never finished my manuscript and then hopped on social media and threw it out there. Hey, does anyone know an agent? Does anyone know a publisher? I've got them. You know, I didn't, like you said, I didn't just spray and pray. That's not what I wanted to do. In fact, I did one step further and um, I created a website that hosted my proposal document, which is something very standard for an author who's trying to get representation. You create what's called a proposal. There's nothing super fancy about it. It's just sort of a recap of your work and your platform, your bio, things like that. And um, I had created this website where I posted all of that stuff in a digital format. And I even included a little link where you could download the whole thing as a PDF or Word document if you just wanted to see the information like that. But I put a lot of tracking behind the website so that I knew that if I sent it to five agents in New York City in a day, I could check by the end of the day, did I have five unique clicks originating from New York City? Were people actually reading my stuff and opening my emails? Or was the sitting stagnant in somebody's inbox? So that's the level of crazy that I kind of took it to. And if I, and if I put that on social media and I blasted that out there, it would ruin all of the metrics and things that I was trying to keep under control as I was doing this. I really appreciate your intentionality with this because as you said, it's a process. You've got to have thick skin and you've also got to have patience because it takes time. Absolutely. Because once those submissions started to go out and responses started to come in, you're right. There is a, that thick skin really comes in handy because you start to get people's rejections and you have to know right away that your work is not for everybody. And the work as you send it to an agent is probably a very distant version of how it will ever come out on a shelf by the time it gets to that point, because there's going to be multiple changes and rounds of revisions and, you know, your title may go away and your cover art might be not what you thought you had in mind. So you do need to have that thick skin and prepare for some people to say that this is not for them or they have to pass because that certainly did happen to me as well. Um, but like I said, I had written this proposal online and even though I was trying to keep it very controlled, it wasn't a private website and eventually a writer for Forbes magazine online had found my article wow. or, or my website and she had contacted me to ask if she could include the link in an article that she was writing that was about old industries such as publishing where it's a very old kind of boring industry and people who are trying to do new or cool or digital things with it. So in her little blurb and roundup, you know, she wanted to include this and say that this was something unique. And um, I struggled for a minute 
wondering if I should allow her to include it because if she did and she blasted it out, then like I said, all of my tracking would go away. But on the other hand, this was Forbes magazine and it would give me a, a new and interesting platform. So ultimately I told her yes, that she could do it. And she published the article. And then in the same day that the article was published online, I had my luck had sort of turned. My situation of kind of getting rejections or that slow kind of response rate just changed. I started to get people emailing me, asking me for the exclusive or asking me to send the full manuscript you know, the assistant to the president at this agency and that agency. So it was a really, you know, non-typical way of going about it. But I guess that in a way, by approaching it differently, I got a different response than the traditional path. So that's kind of my little hack of how I got where I am. Because at that point, I had sort of my pick of the litter with who I wanted to work with. That's so cool. So when you decided upon which agent that you wanted to work with, what happened next? Because again, I know some of our listeners are saying, okay, write, get an agent. What's the next step? So then there's a couple of things. I'll keep it brief, but essentially I did my due diligence and some of the New York publishers were asking for pretty significant changes. And then I had one, this was a New York agent, I'm sorry, asking for pretty significant changes and rewrites, which I entertained and ultimately felt like This was my first book, by the way, my memoir called 86. And I thought if I only ever write one book, you know, I kind of, and it's a memoir, I kind of want it to go the way that I thought it was in my head. So after doing this due diligence and doing some soft rewrites and things like that, I ultimately circled back to working with a publisher that was sort of a small indie publisher out of Austin, Texas. I really liked their creative vibe. And in my mind, I thought I was sort of cutting out the middle person, which is your agent. So that's someone else that you pay commissions to. At the time, also, I should say that I was about 25 years old, so I wasn't very experienced in my whole business, you know, acumen that I am now. But anyhow, I went along and I signed with a small indie publisher in Austin, Texas, who loved the book and just really got it. That book came out probably nine months later, and Michigan Avenue Magazine, which is a luxury colored, you know, glossy magazine here in Chicago, featured the book in a spread. And what ended up happening from that point was that my now agent was reading that newspaper and she contacted me the same day and said, how do I not know you? Who are you? What are you working on next? And I said, well, I'm working on a novel that is about this girl that opens a restaurant on Randolph Street here in Chicago. And she said, that's fantastic. When you're done with that, please send it to me. So I finished the book. I sent her the manuscript and she signed me for agent representation about two and a half weeks later. Um, So it it was kind of an interesting path to get where I am, but ultimately wound up back in the original sort of ideal situation, which was having an agent represent my work and taking that to a larger publisher. Um, You do need an agent to query any of the big six is what it's called, or actually it's big five now, one of them absorbed the other. But these are publishers like Penguin, Random House, Simon & Schuster, HarperCollins, which is who I'm signed with, um, and so she's ended up selling my work to HarperCollins and she sold the novel that I wrote as well as a, a, a novel to B, which I, which didn't exist at the time, but she made the deal for me. And, and then at that point it went into production and a few years later, here we are with the book out in Barnes and Noble and, you know, in little bookstores everywhere. And it's just got that kind of global reach at this point. Wow, very exciting. So let me ask, as an author, do you ever feel 
like you have to bend and um, I don't want to say compromise, but adjust yeah. your your vision because the publishers, the agents, they know the market. And at the end of the day, you want more people reading your book. So tell me about that experience because it's your baby, right? It's your baby. And you know what? The thing, it's a double-edged sword. When you end up signing with somebody like HarperCollins or within that big five, you do need to kind of reconcile with the fact that you're going to give up some of that control. Okay. When you work with self-publishing or a smaller um, publisher, you may have more control, but you know it's a trade-off because you want that huge reach. And one one prime example of this is that my book was originally titled Randolph Street because it was about this you know hot street in Chicago where all of our Michelin-starred restaurants are, and anyone in the city knows exactly what Randolph Street is and where it is. Um, and I thought that was the perfect title. That book. Once it was sold to HarperCollins, they have the control over that, and they retitled it not once but twice. <laughs> and so Hot Mess is the title that's on shelves now. And, I mean, while this book to me will always be Randolph Street, sometimes I even call it that when I you know, have a brain fart, but it's this book, I have to trust that their expertise on naming this book the way that they did had more commercial appeal. It had you know, more global interest. And, you know, ultimately I see that now, like I, I li I'm listening to the book on audio and I, there's certain lines in it that I'm like, Oh yeah, this title is perfect for this book. Perfect. But at the time I was, you know, grappling with the fact that my baby that I've known is this name is now being renamed and I really don't have any control over it. That's a great example. And, you know, folks that know Chicago, of course, Randolph Street yeah. resonates, but someone else might not understand what that is. So what right, a great exactly. example. So tell me about audiobook. Is that something you did with all your books or, or just with Hot Mess? It's just with Hot Mess. Um, part of my book deal with them was that they were going to distribute audio. So um, what they do for that is they sent me about five different samples of narrators. Ah. And I listened to all five of them. And one went by, the next went by, and I thought, no, nope, nope. These are just, you just know. And they then the, finally, I got to the fifth one and I heard her voice and I said, yes, that is my character. Oh. That is Allie Simon. This is it. So she narrated the book and I'm listening to it now, which is so interesting because there's certain lines in the book that I know by heart. Yeah. So as I'm reading, I know what's coming up next. As I'm listening, I know what's coming up next. And the way that the narrator and Flex might be just slightly off the way that I said it in my head or the way I would read it if I was doing a reading. But it's so interesting to see how somebody else interpret it. And it almost feels like it's not my book, it's somebody else's, and I'm just sort of enjoying it as a normal reader. So it's a very interesting experience. Would you consider in the future narrating your own work? Yeah, absolutely. I do think it takes a certain level of ta talent to do it because you know, there's certain characters in the book where she sort of deepens her voice or kind of puts a sort of a character spin on it. And I, you know, when I do my own readings, I don't do that. So, but when I'm listening to her do that, I like it. And I like, you know, I really feel like it's, I'm visualizing like a play in my head or something, but it's, it's a talent that she certainly has. So right. I'm, I would be open to it, but you know, I would also be happy contracting it out again to someone else that has a great you know, narration ability. So let's talk about your your technique, for example, or your ritual. You know, do you have a certain place that you like to write? What inspires you? And have you ever gotten proverbial writer's block? Yeah, of course. I mean, that happens all the time. I think that, you know, first of all, where I write, I have a laptop, so I'm pretty mobile. I do my best work in my home and I do it in a very silent space. So some people need to have jazz music playing or a TV on in the background. 
I do it in a very silent space. So I always thought if someone wanted to sort of make a documentary about this process, it'd be so boring because it's just me <laughs> silent in a room typing on my computer. I also don't write for short amounts of time. So if I have a free 30 minutes, I don't think, oh, I'm going to write. I need substantial blocks of time to be able to do it. So I, at the minimum four to six hours is how much time I want to be spending working on this. And the time really does go by very fast. And then as far as writer's block, you know, that definitely is part of the bargain and even more so with the second novel that HarperCollins bought for me. So it, like I said, it didn't exist when we made the contract. It was an idea that I had. And so when the contract was signed, I be, you know, the clock started. I had to produce a novel. I had to turn it in by a certain date. I had to turn it in with a certain minimum amount of words or I don't get paid. Yeah. And that's a very interesting way of working. It's, it, you know, when I wrote Hot Mess, it, I had all the time in the world. I could take my time with it. I was editing. I was, you know, it, it was a passion project. And then it just so happened to get sold and it, and it became this sort of great phenomenon. But with the second novel, it's totally different. It's a totally different circumstance. The stakes are very high. This is my sophomore novel. People are going to be wanting to know what's next and I need to produce. And so it was very difficult. And so with the writer's block or frustration like that, the one thing that I always find helps me reset, it's very silly, but it always works, is I need to distract myself by making a sandwich. And, and I think it's something about getting the bread, getting the mayo, getting the, and, and assembling something that has nothing to do with writing and doing it how I want and, and just taking a 10 minute break to, to make myself something to eat. And then once I go back to my computer, I, I just feel a certain sense of refresh. It's, it's a very strange quirk, but it's been my sort of MO over the years. Well done. So Emily, clearly you've been a prolific writer for a very long time. What about the aspiring authors listening globally? What's one tip to get them started? You know, might there be a way to, to blog or start with a short story? I mean, literally where to begin? I think a lot of people, you know, have an idea for a book. And I hear that all the time. I have an idea for a book or I'm working on a book. And one thing I would just say is if you think you have a story in you or you feel that you have a story in you, just get it out. And don't focus so much on rewriting and, you know, tweaking everything so you think it sounds perfect. Just put pen to paper, you know, get your Word document open and just start writing and, and complete a story, whether it be 10 pages or 200 pages, just get it out. And I think there's something very cathartic about that. And then when you're done, you might think, wow, there's something really here. At that point, you can go and hire a freelance editor or see, you know, do whatever you want to do to polish it up. But it's it's just that completion of that that I encourage everybody to do and not get stuck in the weeds. You know, it's very tempting every time you reopen your Word document. It, start, it sets you back at page one yeah. and you kind of start rereading and you're like, oh, I don't know about this. I, you know, I just say, just keep going. Just keep going. And, you know, you are a consummate storyteller, and you really talk about how that's a, a long-lost art and craft. Mm -hmm. And I also hear your voice when you write. And now that I've literally heard your voice, it's really exciting to see how they match. Clearly, yeah, that's intentional. Absolutely. So one of the unique things about the way that I write that I've learned is unique. For me, it just is the way that I am. But I'm a voice-driven author. So it means that when you read my work, it feels like I sat you down. I'm your good friend. We're getting coffee or having a glass of wine, and I'm saying, I have a story for you. And I, and I just tell it, and that's the way that I write. A lot of people think that you achieve that by writing a certain sentence, and then you kind of talk to your reader, and you go, you know what I mean, right? You know, something like that. 
that's not the way that it's done. It's just there's something in the sausage that is very special about writing with your voice. And no matter what I do and where, what future projects I do, I will always make sure that my voice comes through so that you won't lose that aspect. No matter if I write something a little more complex or a plot with a bigger twist or whatever it is, you know, I will always make sure that that voice quality is there. Awesome. Emily, I've learned so much from you today. Thank you so much for sharing your story about how you make your living as a writer. I know you've inspired a lot of listeners globally. And let me tell people exactly what you've written so they can seek out your great work. Your debut novel, as you mentioned, is Hot Mess. And you also authored 86th, a memoir about unforgettable men, mistakes, and meals delicious. And your forthcoming book is called Husband Material. And of course, they're widely available in major booksellers as well as online. Wow. I am so grateful to have gotten to know you today. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And listen, I hope our paths cross again soon, maybe sometime in Chicago. Absolutely. All right, my dear, be well, and I wish you continued success. Hey, if you like today's show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and even better, leave us a review. And of course, let us know what career development questions you have so we can address them on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening.